Gracious and loving God, may the meditations of all our hearts and the words that hopefully you've put in my mouth be acceptable in your sight. And we will love you more because of it. Amen. The wonderful thing about my cerebral palsy is that it's a built-in alarm system. Whether I'm anxious or excited, whether I'm disappointed or sad, it is an alarm system of my emotions. So no matter what I'm feeling, you all get to know. (laughs) Dang! I've always wanted to hide like other people do. But somehow the gift of God in me is to live with what I would not choose but have been graced by. And that is what the psalmist is speaking of in Psalm 16. No matter what the outward circumstances are, the inner life of intimacy with God is what drives his or her life. The security that comes from not knowing how things will work out is based on a relationship with a God who is faithful, loving, and present. You know, Hebrew poetry, or prayer, because I think all of the Psalms are really prayer, is a very holistic way of looking at life. They don't separate off this part of my life I will do on my own, or this part of my life is the time where I now pray. But all of life becomes a dance, if you will, with the God of the universe. The God that Paul said to the Athenians when he was trying to describe the unnamed statue, saying, he is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. That is very Hebrew, in whom we live and move and have our being. So it is all about trust. The psalm is about trust. But what really intrigued me, and this is how I approach Scripture, I'm asking questions about Scripture. Well, how did they get there? Why? Why can they say what they're saying? And my conclusion as I read the Psalm of Trust was that this worshiper has experienced God beyond what they know in their head. It has come down to root in their heart. And they are listening to God. They are listening to God. They are listening to God 
in the moments of the day that seem very ordinary. They're listening to God in the moments of the day that seem extraordinary. An ongoing, immediate intimacy with the Creator. So, ask a question with me. How did they get there? How does one listen to God? Now, I'm going to tell you a little story. And at the risk of offending all you power boaters, I am going to declare that sailing is the premier sport and the absolute only way to be in the water. Okay, I said it. It's out there. I learned so much from sailing. I grew up sailing in small boats on Puget Sound, then graduated to larger boats, um, to the point where now my husband and I own our own boat. And uh, one of the things that I have learned in the process of sailing is how to be patient. You can't go where the wind is not going to take you. And you can't control the wind. The wind shows up. The wind will do what the wind will do. And the idea is to capture the wind in the sails by method of pulleys and lines that create a form in the sail that is best uh, to capture the wind depending on the direction. And so we have lots of ways of doing that. First, we have to raise the sail. We have to get it up. And it has to be pulled tight the other direction. And you can let the sail out then, or you can pull it back in, or you can create a very taut canvas, or you can let the canvas pucker depending on how much wind you have. There are many ways to trim a sail, and it gets more and more complicated the more complicated boat you have. Now, if you're a racer, you may want to come up to me and take issue with some of the things I say, but (laughs) I have given you basic sail trim theory. So... Learning to pay attention to the wind, you can learn to pay attention to God. Because you all have been given faculties for engagement that God gave you for a reason. Your intellect, which we use really well in our Presbyterian tradition. (laughs) But see, you've also been given emotions. Imagination, intuition, memory, will. If God gave you all those ways of engaging your world and each other, did he not also give them primarily for you to engage him and listen to him? So I am looking at this psalm and seeing all the ways his body and his mind and his emotion engaged God in order to listen. 
This is the basis of the psalmist listening, his desire for God. At the root of listening is a desire to listen, right? Is pure desire. What is desire for God like? It is certainly operating in the phrase, I have no good apart from you. Nothing in life for this worshiper is of value except for that it fulfills a relationship with God. Everything is infused with God. I have no good apart from you. He is filled with, present to, aware of, wanting to please God by declaring that even when he doesn't understand God, it is his presence, his essence, and his love that he wants most of all. Desire for God is actually more important than knowing God's will. I'm going to say that again. Desire for God is more important than knowing God's will because you can't know all of God. If you could, he would not be God. God does it in you. We can participate with God. We can learn things about God. We can conform to God through obedience. But at the heart of it, it's desire. Knowing that God is at work in us. So the prayer, what are you doing, God, becomes the prayer of desire. How can I participate in what you are doing? How does one increase their desire for God? I think it's a gift. I think you need to ask for it. And then you experience, experience in real time, real life engagement that God is there engaging you. You can set yourself in positions to experience God. Let me share three ways that I think this psalmist experienced listen to God. And I have to say, I really tried hard not to make it three. Because it just seems like we're always doing that, aren't we, Scott? But there were. There were three distinct ways that I see this psalmist experiencing God, learning to listen to how God gets their attention. Community, communication, and companionship. Let's take them one at a time. Community. In verse 3, the holy ones are all his delight. What does that mean? That it is in the corporate experience of worship, in the corporate experience of faith, that encouragement, support, 
experiencing the different images of God that are unique in each one of us, they become the basis for experiencing what God is like. And the psalmist can declare that, yes, in fact, there is no good apart from God because I experience it in community. One of the ways that um, I have been profoundly transformed is by entering into an intentional relationship with a spiritual companion. Let me explain what that is. We all have friends who encourage us spiritually, who share their faith. But this is a little different. This is an intentional relationship with somebody who is trained to sit with me once a month and listen to the activity of God in my life. As I bring up my experiences, my questions, my angst, my joys, my wonderments, and what it does to my prayer life, he listens very carefully to what I'm saying. He's another set of eyes, another set of ears to be able to say to me, there's God. I see God right there. I go, where? What? I missed it. (laughs) Because it's hard to see by ourselves. I don't think we're meant to do this by ourselves. We need help. We're designed for community. And this is one particular way, an intensive way that I have found to just transform my experience of God. To have somebody else come alongside me and say, you don't have to do all that more to get to God. God is already there. Recognize it. Pay attention to it. Participate in it. Remember the sail trim? How am I pulling my sail in? Letting it out? What's happening in my will? My emotions? My imagination? My cognition? Helping me to recognize how God gets my attention. We all need help. And I'm going to invite you by the end of my sermon to contact me if you're interested in a spiritual companioning relationship. Because we are growing that very ministry here at First Press, and I'm very excited about it. But we all need help. I think sometimes when we get into deep trouble, our first inclination is, what are the steps I can take to get out of it? What can I do on my own to resolve this problem? Is, it, is the first thought, who can I call? Who can come alongside of me? How will God provide beyond my ability to deal with the problem? I have a recent example, another sailing story. This is fun. Um, last month we were sailing in the San Juans. And for some of you who know the area, we're approaching Susha Island. We'd had a great day sailing. Uh, but we were getting close to needing to take the sails down. And at that point in our boat, you need to turn the engine on. Because as you take the sails down, you want to have ability to, to then move into the the anchoring position. We went and turned the engine on. No sound. 
Now you'd think as a sailor, oh, we don't need an engine, no problem. The problem was is that the wind had died, there was a strong current, and we were drifting towards the point. I'm thinking, quick, quick, we'll solve this right now. So my husband's running down, looking at the engine. We think we know what was going on. There was air in the fuel line. For those of you who know engines, that doesn't mean a thing to me, but that's okay. Um, the engine didn't work. And I set my two teenagers in a little dinghy and say, let's try and pull this 35-foot boat. <laughs> They're wide-eyed, didn't know how to tie up the line. and Well, they get out there and the current and the heaviness of the boat just pull them back in to the boat. Then my daughter says, why don't we get the VHF radio, the radio that you call for help, up in the cockpit, ready to use? Why would we need that? What are you thinking of? So I'm gripping the wheel a little bit harder. How can we solve this on our own? As it turns out, within about 20 minutes, as the uh, depth is getting a little shallower, a little shallower, uh, another sailboat came by and said, do you need help? <laughs> yes! <laughs> As I came alongside, and I was thinking, okay, they'll tow us into the boat, we'll anchor, we'll have to call for help, we'll have to get a tow back to Bellingham, what a mess, it's going to ruin our vacation still gripping the wheel. They said, by the way, we have a diesel mechanic on board. I looked at John. There is a God. <laughs> All is well. I'm here. God wants to provide for us beyond what we ever could think or imagine, and most often he wants to do it through other people, through us needing other people, through us being companioned, whether it's through an intentional spiritual direction relationship or through asking for help. God wants to meet us through community, and we listen we listen for how he's inviting us to be in community. Where does our heart go? Where are our longings? Where is our desire? Another way that the psalmist hears God is through constant reflection communication. Noticing how God gets our attention using all our faculties is an important part of that. When he says, my heart meditates on the counsel that you give at night, the heart in the Hebrew um, context is a metaphor for all those things that make us human. So it's not just that his emotions or his mind, but his memory, his imagination, his intuition, his longings, his dreams, his desires are always before the Lord. 
At nights, it's a picture of quiet reflection. Taking time to listen to what's going on inside of us is an important part of hearing how God is communicating. Now, the fact that God is the psalmist's portion, his lot, and his cup is all about God being enough. God is enough. They're all parallel expressions of God's provision of himself. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant, he's saying, I am giving myself to you. For the psalmist, He's been given God himself. He knows it. He's listening to it. And his heart meditates on it in the night. Constant listening. The Lord is always before me. You know, one of the things I said when I began the sermon was, my body speaks to me. That's one of the ways that I listen. Constant communication through my body. Learning how to understand how in all ways the Lord is going to speak to me and paying attention. And I think, why indeed would God choose that for me? Well, why indeed? I don't know why, but it's a gift, as I said. And so I use it. What has God given you? What is unique to who you are? Knowing yourself is part of paying attention to how God is speaking to you right where you're at. Paying attention becomes a way of learning how to pray the prayers that God is giving you. Now, I have to admit that I'm not one of those people who can pray for two hours at a time or listen in one position. I don't even hold still in one position. That is totally irrelevant to me. I often listen to God while I run because when I run, my body doesn't move. And so it becomes a time of paying attention to how God is speaking to me. Communication. What is God giving to you in the moment and paying attention? And finally, companionship. God is already at work. He's already giving himself to us. We can choose to surrender to his love rather than resign ourselves to circumstances. When we resign ourselves to circumstances, it's like, oh well, I can't do anything about it. Gosh darn. It's not very hopeful, is it? That's a little bit of, Lord, what have you taken away from me? I guess I have to live with it. Rather than surrendering yourself to relationship and love, is, God, how are you going to work through this? How are you going to love me further because of what I'm experiencing? That is hopeful. 
Because if we live and move and have our being in God, then all things work together for good to those who believe and know Jesus Christ. God is at work in all circumstances, not as we would have them, but he does not remove his love. And ultimately, his love will bring us into transforming relationships of trust. Trusting that there are pleasures forevermore and fullness of joy on this path of life and that God will show you that path of life. Psalm 23 says he leads me on right paths for his name's sake. It's all about God. He's leading you on right paths for his name's sake. And he's a companion on the way. So we listen to God just as in sailing, we look for where the wind is and we shape our sails in a way to catch it. You have been formed to catch God, to hold God. He's inviting you to listen to him, inviting you to listen through community, through intentional relationship with somebody of faith who will help you recognize what God is doing in the moment in your life. Through communication, stilling your life, reflecting, receiving the prayer that God is giving you and the way that he's giving it to you. And then in companionship, surrendering yourself to love, not resigning yourself to circumstances. I'm going to end and invite you to pray a prayer that Thomas Merton wrote that talks about desire for God and not necessarily knowing God's will, but trusting that you're participating in it as you listen to the voice of God in your life. Pray with me, will you? My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.